0: I'm Sam and I'm excited, right? Not this morning. Um, not this morning. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be with the bride of Christ. I'm excited to, to sing praise, but honestly, I'm not excited for this message. I'm just, I'm not. Um, I came home the one day from work and and i was quiet and adeline could tell and you know she was like hey what's up and i was like honestly the sermon prep just really bummed me out it's just it's just really this this is not a fun week um you know last week preaching on elohe mikrov god who is near and in his nearness we find rest man that's a blast to prep and to look into uh but as we're working through First and Second Peter, we come to a passage that's just not fun. It's, it's not fun to read. It's not fun to teach on. It's not fun to think about these things. But if we're approaching God's Bible, God's Word, just to be entertained and to have fun, then we've missed the point of it. And so I, I believe wholeheartedly that it's necessary that we look at this chapter in Second Peter, but um, yeah, I'm just giving you guys a heads up. Like this is not a fun week. Doesn't make it any less important. Doesn't make it any less reverent what we're setting out to do or should be setting out to do. Uh, but this is a week that the mood may be a little differently or maybe a little different and that's okay. That's, that's okay. Um, let's have a conversation about this stuff. Let's engage with it as family, as, as people who love one another. Um, but let's engage with this, this topic and you'll see where we're getting into in 2 Peter 2. Uh, we're not gonna read, and the reason I'm doing a little bit of a longer intro is we're, we're not gonna read the whole chapter. We're looking at the whole chapter uh, this morning, but we're not gonna actually read the whole chapter because it's, it's a long one. Um, but 2 Peter 2 is all about warning signs of false teachers, and you gotta know this because they're gonna destroy the church, and they are destroying the church, and they're gonna destroy believers, they're gonna lead us down the wrong paths, and so we gotta look at this. God included it for a reason, but before we begin, before we dive in, let's just pray. Lord, thank you that you are holy Thank you that you are worthy. God, thank you. Uh, Honestly, even though it's not always easy, thank you for the weight of preaching. Uh, Forgive my unworthiness up here. Forgive the unworthiness with which we listen to you the parts that we ignore, the parts that we set aside because it's easier. Lord, may this not happen in our lives. Fill this place with gentleness. Fill us with grace and mercy. May we overflow with a gentle heart like Jesus's. Lord, Jesus also prayed that we would be sanctified in the truth. So may we never compromise truth. May we never set aside truth for comfortability, for relevance, for ease, for happiness. Sanctify us in truth. We give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is it a big deal, man? Why is it a big deal if that teacher gets one thing wrong? 90% of what they put out is good, 95% of what they put out is good. So what if they miss one part? Ease up, man. I want to tell you a story of my family. Uh, This was, I don't know how many years ago. So a lot of you know my dad, pastor, uh, professor at a Christian college. So even when he was teaching at a Christian college, he was still frequently used for pulpit supply and to help churches out in transition and stuff. And one weekend, uh, he was was speaking at a church. He knew the people, they needed help for the one weekend. So our family was speaking and it was in Long Island. Uh, If you've ever driven on the Long Island Expressway, that it's got to be like top three least favorite places on Earth. And the Long Island Expressway is designed to just be a punishing loop that you never escape from. (laughs) And this was in the days, for the kids in here, this is gonna blow your mind, this was in the days before GPS. So who remembers, right, the family frantically calling out, who's got the MapQuest? Who grabbed the MapQuest off the printer? So we've got the MapQuest directions, and the way the page, either it was MapQuest or like the guy had given us directions over the phone, but either way, whether it was the way it printed or when he relayed the directions, one exit was missing. And so we are just doing circles on the Long Island Expressway, and my mom's got the Rand McNally folded open in the front seat, and we are desperately trying to figure out how do we get out of this loop of misery? 95% of the directions were there. 95% of the directions were solid. But that one piece was missing, and we were stuck in a loop going nowhere. What does he say in Second Peter 2? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Remember two weeks ago, we looked at cleverly devised myths. These are designed to be appealing. These are designed to be a hook that we don't notice until it's in our mouth and we're getting reeled up out of the water who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. This is heavy stuff. So he lays out signs that we have to know, and the first one that we have to look at, that I hear in conversations when I'm talking to people. But they said they were Christian. Their podcast was under the religious section. Their social media profile has a Bible verse in it. They're in the Christian section at Barnes & Noble. They're on the 700 Club channel. They said they were Christian. Guys, proximity does not equal legitimacy. I shared this story before. Uh, My family was gifted this awesome package when I was a kid growing up a a Yankees fan, and we actually got to go on to Yankees Stadium and get a clinic from the coaches. When we were done, the players were coming out, and I was six inches from Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, all these guys, right? I was about as physically close to them as you could get without sharing the uniform. I was not going to be in the Yankees starting lineup that day. Proximity does not equal authenticity. What does he say? False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass... And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We see two things in that passage, false prophets among you, from the people. It's going to be your people. And then he says, and they prophesy something, they tell of a sign or wonder, and it comes to pass but their teaching is still off base. So we evaluate everything. This is Deuteronomy 13. Then you go forward just a little bit to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. He's talking about when. He's saying, look, this is going to happen. So here's what you look out for. Here's what you pay attention to. Acts 20, 29 to 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Jude 1.12, talking about false teachers. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Hidden reefs at your love feasts. We were watching a documentary show a few nights ago, and there was a coastal patrol out looking for for smuggling, but they get a distress signal. And they go, and there's a boat that's capsizing and sinking, and the guy is like, hey, I need help. So this is real; like this is a documentary, right? And what he says to them, when they get him up in the boat, they're like, hey, are you okay? And he said, I didn't realize how close I was to the reefs. And the moment my boat hit it, I was stuck. And the more the waves hit me, the worse the hole got. And before I knew it, the boat was sinking, and I was about to drown. This is the language used to describe false teachers, hidden reefs that when you get stuck on the hole's just going to get worse i mean we cannot downplay the significance of this there is no real unity apart from truth there is no value apart from truth but they're popular you know what else is popular a Taylor Swift concert. A Taylor Swift concert's not eternally significant. I mean, this is laid out so clearly for the church. And we have to know it. So here are the signs. Here's what we look for. Okay, how do we evaluate if a teacher is legitimate or not? Well, he gives us. He gives us signs. God lays it out for us. Let me read verse two again, and then I'll read verse 14 and 18. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error that word sensuality it means a rejection of restraint you just give in to the emotional passions you just give in to the base instincts of the flesh so we frequently make sensuality all about sexuality and it's related to that make no mistake what it say their eyes are full of adultery When you look at other uses of sensuality in Scripture, you see that very frequently sensuality is indeed talking about sexuality. So that should be a big red flag for a teacher. A big warning sign. But that's not all that it means. And if we don't understand the fullness of this word, then I think we miss out on some of the more subtle warning signs. What did it say in verse 18? In verse 18, it said, "...sensual passions of the flesh." What do we know about the flesh? What are the sensual passions of the flesh? Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, and then 4, verses 3 and 4. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power." Chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So, the first sign, the first warning sign of a false teacher is an overindulgence of base instinct and emotion. I was listening to an interview with a prominent pastor maybe two weeks ago. So this is not a quote taken out of context. This is the interviewer asked this pastor, hey, how'd you wind up a pastor? Talk about your call into ministry. And he starts off and he's like, grew up in a really troubled household. Really bad situation. I was in trouble with the law. I had a lot of anger as a juvenile. I'm like, cool, he's going to go into mercy and forgiveness and coming out of it. And he continues, and he said, and that anger didn't go anywhere as I got older. And I was like, man, I need a place to vent this. Why not a pulpit? And what I found is there are a lot of other angry people out there who like angry preaching. That's sensuality. I mean, I mean that's sensuality. That is teaching driven by passions of the flesh. So if we reduce it to just sexuality, then we miss out on that whole other aspect of that word. And this is significant. Why? Because what does sensuality turn into, lead to, stem from? An abuse of grace. Jude 1.4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 1 through 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Sanctification's a big word. Sanctification's a tough concept. Let's just pretend you're good enough where you are and you don't need to try. Just, you're fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Just be happy. Sensuality is a rejection of grace. It's an abuse of grace. This is the first warning sign that we see in this part on false teachers. And you'll see that a lot of these other warning signs, and I think there's a reason this is the first one that we see in the chapter, is because a lot of the ones that we're going to now look at, they'll flow from or in some way resemble sensuality this rejection of restraint, this appeal to the base instinct, this appeal to the passions of the flesh. You also see greed and exploitation. In their greed, verse 3, talking about false teachers, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And verses 13 and 14, Suffering wrong, they're suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Greed. We tend to go right to financial greed. Absolutely a component of it. No denying, financial greed definitely related to hearts of greed, trained in greed, exploiting you for personal gain. But the word in verse 3 and 13 doesn't just mean, just like sensuality doesn't just mean this, greed doesn't just mean financially greedy. What that word means, it's referring to a heart of covetousness that says what God has given me in this life is not enough. My platform is not big enough. My followers are not big enough. My influence is not big enough. My fame, my notoriety, my personal benefit is not big enough. That's what this is getting at, a heart of covetousness. Consider these verses. Luke twelve fifteen. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 2 Corinthians 9.5, 9, you're not going to hear the word covetousness. You're going to hear a different word. You're going to hear exaction. It's translated differently based on context, but it's the same Greek word. 2 Corinthians 9.5, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So what it's getting at there, and if you have a a thought-to-thought translation, not necessarily a word-to-word translation, but a thought-to-thought translation, it may say in your translation, not given as one grudgingly given due to greediness. I'll give something so that I can get back in return. Joe's on the governing board. Joe, you've got to be just the smartest guy I've ever known. You've got to be, I mean... There is no one like you. You are the greatest thing to happen to the church since Moses. Hey, on a totally unrelated note, I mean, did I tell you how great you are? Totally unrelated note. Could you bump my personal expenditures up another two or $3,000? Or, you know, like, throw up, like another two weeks of vacation? Because you're just you're so generous. Like, you're the most, right? Teachers who come to you with an exaction. Leaders who come with a transactional. Okay, I'll give you this, but only so I can get this back. That's a problem. 1 Thessalonians 2.5 For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. And if, if you've read Paul's letters, you know that flattery is definitely not on Paul's priority list. Paul says, look, you know this. We didn't come to you with flattery. I'm not here to boost your ego. I'm not here to pat you on the back and make you feel like you're the best. That's a pretext for greed. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, we came to you with truth. Colossians 3, 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, just like sensuality gets down to an abuse of grace, covetousness gets down to idolatry. The church really isn't about God. The church really isn't about Jesus. The church is about how many books I'm gonna sell. The church is about how many conferences want me to be the keynote speaker. I wanna be able to walk into a room and say, yeah, guess how many numbers we're running on a Sunday morning. Covetousness, a warning sign of false teachers reveals a heart of idolatry. And then in verse 13, you saw that word reveling, or we read that word reveling. That's a Greek word for intense self-indulgence. So reveling in their deception. They are using their deceptive teaching for intense self-indulgence. This is a massive warning sign of false teachers that God gives his church. Related to this, big warning sign is a rejection of authority, a dismissal of accountability, a dismissal of authority in their lives. Verse 10, I'll read verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. That word despise means to think down on. To belittle, to see as insignificant, something trivial to be tossed aside, treated with contempt or disregard because they see no value in it. So false teachers see no value in authority in their lives. They see no significance. You want to know how to evaluate a teacher? I mean, after, you know, do their words line up with scripture? Ask, who do they answer to? Who's over them? Well, I mean, technically not anybody. I've got a group of friends who we check in with once. Okay, that makes me nervous. False teachers despise authority. They reject it in their lives. Matthew 6, 24. Listen to how else Scripture uses this word despise. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Romans 2, 4. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Sensuality. A rejection of restraint. Do you despise... God's restraint? Do you treat this with contempt? Do you treat his authority with disregard? 1 Timothy 6.2 Men of the Bible study, we just looked at this last week. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful. That's the word that is that same word for despise. So those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Saying, look, you can't bring this despising attitude, this despising heart to God. And you can't bring it to the relationships in your own life. You can't bring it to the authority placed over you. Peter warns the church, false teachers reject authority. They despise it, they see no value in it, they have no regard for it. Specifically related to that, they're arrogant and they're boastful. And we see two things that they're arrogant in in 2 Peter 2. They're arrogant about their power. They're arrogant about who they are in their own authority. Verse 10 again, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. That word glorious ones, it just means heavenly being. This isn't just angel. This is, this is spiritual being. This is angel, demon. So false teachers, arrogant in their power and authority, they despise authority and they do not tremble as they blaspheme glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce blasphemous judgment. Jude 1, 8 through 10, for those of you who were at the spiritual warfare conversation, we spent time on this passage. Jude 1, 8 through 10, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, Jude's all about false teachers, so when it says these people, he's talking about false teachers. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. False teachers, they go back to their base instincts and their arrogance about spiritual realities. Look, don't get me wrong, we're not afraid of evil. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm I'm not afraid of God's judgment. I know I'm forgiven. I'm not afraid of judgment day. I know I'm imputed with the righteousness of Christ. I'm not afraid of what the enemy can do to me because I know I'm in God's hand. So I'm not talking about be afraid, be trembling, be timid in the corner. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, of power and self-control. So we're not talking about fear. We're talking about arrogance. We're talking about boasting in our power. I mean, Michael, the archangel Michael, did not presume to pass blasphemous judgment. And we have teachers today saying that we should be walking around doing this as commonly as drinking water. False teachers are arrogant about their own power. And they're arrogant about their own teaching. Verse 18 For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Speaking loud boasts of folly, that literally translates, arrogantly speaking, vain words. Vain words that mean nothing, that have no impact, no eternal consequence, nothing to offer anyone, and they're out there bragging like they're the greatest thing that's ever happened. I could beat LeBron James one-on-one right now. Guarantee it. Promise you, hundred bucks. Fact, give them three more teammates. LeBron, Durant, bring back Michael Jordan. I'll take them all on. Those are pretty vain words. So if I'm saying those vain words, then I'm also insisting, dude, that's why you got to pick me first and pick up. Because I'm better than all these guys. You need me on your team. That's what he's getting at. Arrogantly speaking words of vanity. No substance. Nothing worth listening to. And they're insisting you need this in your life. This is a massive warning sign of false teachers. First Timothy 1, 6-7. Certain persons, talking about false teachers, certain persons, by swerving from these, true doctrine, all right, so false teachers swerving from true doctrine, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. 1 Timothy 6, 3-4 If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Jude 1.16 These are grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Huge sign for false teachers is arrogance. How do they talk about themselves? What effort do they go to for self-promotion? I'm not talking about, you know, muzzling the ox while it threshes grain. If you write a book, yeah, charge a price for it. You put the work in. You know, if you're flying out to a conference and they want to give you a gift, okay, fine. You're giving up time for that. You're giving time away from your family. Like, I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about to what degree is their ministry about them? To what degree is the promotion about them? Are they arrogant about their power? Are they boastful about their teaching? Peter lays out. Paul lays out. Bible lays out. Arrogance is a massive red flag. One final thought, that's, that's, those, are the, those are the umbrella flags that you see in 2 Peter 2. So the question then is, how do we think about false teachers? And I, I gotta admit, I struggle with this at times. I believe so firmly in preaching scripture that I, I struggle with a heart of gentleness. I do. I'm not proud of it. I regularly pray. That was one of my biggest prayers this week was Lord, give me grace and gentleness. So the question is: if these are the warning signs about false teachers, how do we think about them? How do we treat them? Well, how would Jesus treat them? Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And this is in a letter where he spent plenty of time talking about false teachers. Paul says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. God says that he desires all people would come to repentance. So, how do we treat false teachers? Love them, don't listen to them. I've thrown books out, I've deleted podcasts. I've unsubscribed from channels. Don't listen to false teachers. Love them. Pray for them. I'm preaching more to myself than anyone in this room. Approach them like Jesus would. Approach them like Jesus did. Approach them like Jesus does. This This is our calling. Our calling is to be aware, to be vigilant, to be on guard. He lays out warning signs so that we can do this. But we can never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus came to die for sinners and I am chief among them. We can never, ever lose sight of the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am no better, I am no inherently better more deserving of salvation than the worst false teacher out there. Neither are you. So we love them. We stand firm on the truth. We remain sanctified in the truth. We don't compromise the truth, but we also don't compromise love. This is the heart of Christ. It's, It's not always easy oh, man, I really like so-and-so. Yeah, I've thrown out stuff by people I really liked. I didn't sign up for easy. I signed up for holy. I signed up for a life that glorifies God. And that's truth. So this week, as we consider this, I told you guys the mood was going to be a little bit different. I'm sorry. Please, somebody smile. Let's read Jeremiah 23. Let's read Romans 9 and 10. Romans 9 and 10, man, just beautiful chapters on grace. Beautiful chapters on what God has done for us. So let's read Jeremiah 23, Romans 9 and 10 and Titus 1. Apply the Acts model as we pray. And then imitate Jesus. Remember Jesus with the woman who was caught in adultery? He didn't compromise truth. He said, go and sin no more. He also said, neither do I condemn you. So imitate Jesus, stand firmly for truth, but love people relentlessly. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I, uh, honestly, I just think of David's prayer. Or maybe it's Solomon's prayer. But where he says, Who are we that we have anything to offer you? We only have because you gave first to us. God, remind us of this. Remind us of grace. May we never, may we never turn grace into freedom to sin and do whatever we want. May we always be impressed with the reality and the weight of grace. And may we always extend grace. May we extend forgiveness as readily as you extended it to us. May we stand for truth as firmly as you do, and as firmly as you call us to. May we love and earnestly desire repentance for all those who don't know you. Our loved ones who don't know you and the people we can't stand who don't know you. May we desire their repentance. Teach us to live like Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.